Hey, Team Female. Welcome to the Female Political Strategy Podcast. Female first, female forward. I'm Ro. I'm Lilith. And I'm Elle. All right. So this week, we're going to discuss the oddly multi-interest, I don't want to say multi-partisan, but multi-interest group that is trying to push Congress to require women to register for the selective service. Yes. To the draft, essentially, so if if Congress were to enact a draft. Right. So right now in the United States, all men over the age of 18 and between the ages of 18 and 26, correct, are required to register for the selective service. And it's basically a military draft reserve, although it hasn't really been employed since the 70s. You know, Congress is maintaining the power to issue a draft if need be. Yeah, I don't think women should be drafted. I think only men should be used as cannon fodder, straight up. Women are too valuable. But I mean, <laughs> Sorry. starting off with something really controversial. I'm kidding. Women are too valuable. I, and I'm with you on that. Um, but I actually am kind of pro on, on paper. I'm pro draft because of progressive leftist, not leftist. I guess I should say for progressive, like feminists that are like, we can do anything and everything that men can do. It's like, okay, cool. Then let's, if you're going to erase all the lines, why not erase 100% of the lines, right? Like we can do everything, but not that. You can't, you can't meatloaf your way around, you know, equal opportunity. So it's all or nothing. I feel like viscerally, the way I react to it is that, no, I don't think women should have to register for the draft. Like I'm imagining combat situations and then things like sexual assault in the military. And uh, to the extent that the military is overwhelmingly a male dominated game, like to what extent are you actually subjecting women to unnecessary like workplace abuse? How would that actually work in function? But at the same time, I'm not necessarily intellectually against it because there's so many jobs in the military that are outside of just straight combat that I could see being absolutely necessary if we were under wartime rules, right? So if you want to be a military nurse or you want to work in tech and engineering or something like that, like there's plenty of jobs within the military that women could and should be able to do during a hypothetical wartime where everyone is required to register for the military because either we our reserves are low or there's just some massive clusterfuck in some country, hopefully not on American soil, that requires all of our collective action, then I don't see a reason why we shouldn't draft women. I'm more averse to drafting women into combat roles, but I'm not averse to uh, drafting women to any kind of military role. So let's contextualize like what a draft or selective service registration would even mean in the first place, right? On so it, it's not mandatory service like what we see currently in Israel and Korea where everybody has mandatory service to do, but it's in the case of, you know, hey, we've tapped out our entire... So the military in the U.S. right now is currently all volunteer force. Like, nobody's asking you to do anything. You were incentivized to join, and you can leave provided, you know, your contract is up. And, like, actually, you can actually opt out. There are ways to get out of the military, but th- that's very difficult. But in the case of a selective service draft, that means everybody who registered that is also like qualified would then be put into a position that they're capable of fulfilling. So as it stands, women are allowed to be in combat roles, but they have to volunteer for it and they have to want it. And then they like assess and select. So it wouldn't be like all women are suddenly, you know, going to the front lines where, like you said, there's, you know, admin roles, intel roles, office roles, and support roles that actually have larger 
positions to fill rather than the front line. And if you're in college or over the age of, what is it? What would the upper limit of selective service be? It's 26. Yeah. So if you're over 26, not medically qualified, like, I didn't mean... It's super hard to actually qualify for the military. I remember watching something, it might have been Joe Rogan, about how like our country's so obese that they can't find anybody to join the military. <laughs> <laughs> actually, seriously, yes. Like when I was going through recently for like some medical stuff, there was like this 19-year-old girl. And mind you, I'm not even in my 20s anymore. So it's like there was a 19-year-old girl that was bigger than me that was trying to join and she had like all of them were between the ages of like 18 and 21 and nobody nobody passed the weight qualification wow damn what's the weight what is the weight qualification is like bmi yeah well yeah it's bmi and then like if you're between 19 and 20 you're usually supposed to be below 130 but think about it you're fresh out of high school you're metabolism is generally through the roof at that age so like yeah it's not until you hit freshman year that you gain the freshman 15 right and so you should that's when you should be at your most active but child obesity is a problem in america okay so that's a lot of kids don't have that i wonder why that is because they used to have you used to be required to run like a 13 minute mile used to i mean at least i remember having to do that in high school where to pass your gym class your senior year, you had to run a 13 minute mile. And I'm like, this should be pretty achievable for everybody. And not to mention like, yeah, I, I don't even think they mandate that anymore. Honestly, it might've just been my school. Damn, in my school, if you, if you had to run a 13 minute mile to pass high school in my high school, damn, like half of half the people in high school would have flunked out. <laughs> right. All of Iowa would have failed. And like, they were like too many people are failing high school. We can't make this mandatory. <laughs> why sat scores are fine um and i'm not like trying to quote fat shame anybody or anything but like when there's that component too so most people that are flipping out about this like selective service registration wouldn't even qualify to go because most people can't pass the asvab so basically if you want to avoid the draft anyways just put on the weight just be obese yeah just start, <laughs> just because i was like if i was if i was under 26 and i didn't want to go to the draft i would just yeah eat till i was obese or go to college if you're in college you're exempt go to college <laughs> or get pregnant those are your options. <laughs> you know what? You've persuaded me. I'm now in favor of women being drafted. <laughs> I know that it's easy to, so easy to get out of. It is so easy. So it's like, in the grand scheme of things, like, it sounds scary. The draft, I think, is almost like a consequence of this, like, radical... I don't want to say radical feminist, but the hyper-progressive feminists that want to basically say men and women are the exact same, which is not true. Yeah, rad femmes don't believe that. Like, actual, like, rad femme, rad femmes? Yeah. That's more of a lib femme thing, is that, like, men and women are exactly the same, and women should do, can and should do everything that men can do. And I generally disagree with lib femmes. I'm like, no, nah, women are different and we're better. Which is <laughs> so, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, part of the aversion was because a men's rights activist group actually sued the United States government because women don't have to register for the selective service. So some of this is like, it's become a weird hodgepodge of bad actors and people that are obviously anti-feminist and also the super you know, gender neutral progressive feminists. Isn't that weird that the gender neutral progressive feminists and the red pill 
agree on something. Yeah, the men's rights activists specifically. I don't know if it was Red Pill, but it was it was a men's rights activist group, which was like suing the government because they felt like it was discriminatory because women don't have to register for the selective service. So like the fact that they overlap on this is actually very telling. Yeah, very telling. And it starts to feel like there's like a visceral negative reaction to it because I'm like, I don't really feel like this is being done in good faith. And it's not even about the selective service at that point. Like men's rights activists are the Karens of, you know, that side of the world where they're just mad to be mad. Yeah. (laughs) Well, how come they don't have to do it? I'm like, half of y'all don't even qualify for the draft. Like, it's like dudes in their late 20s and 30s that aren't even subject to the draft. (laughs) Yeah. The men who complain the most about the draft don't even qualify for the draft because they're all obese. Oh my God. Okay. So just out of curiosity, I just Googled like countries that draft women I wanted to see what countries already draft women because I wanted to see if that was like in any way correlated with gender equality, maybe countries that are more progressive, like, I don't know, Israel or Sweden um, are more likely to draft women. So <clears throat> I wanted to see what that effect would be. But it looks like the countries that draft women are Bolivia, Chad, Eritrea, Israel, Mozambique, Norway, North Korea, and Sweden. So you've got North Korea and Sweden in the same list. <laughs> I love how Mozambique and Norway are in the same list. <laughs> yeah, Mozambique, Norway, North Korea, <laughs> and Sweden are all in the same list. <laughs> what do they all have in common? That just sounds like the like punchline of a very unsuspecting joke. <laughs> the only thing they have in common is that they draft women. So I, d- I don't know what to make of this list. What else do these countries have in common other than drafting women? Are they just high cut? Co- like, I wanted to say, are they high conflict zones like North Korea and Israel, but Norway and Sweden are not high conflict. So yeah. What do Eritrea and like Sweden have in common? Yeah. What do they have in common? But all that to say is like the draft to me is a whole bunch of nothing because the odds of a draft ever being instated is slim to none because the military is turning people away. The military has no problem recruiting people. And some would argue that it's actually like a sociopolitical issue that there's like a military caste and that's why there's like parts of society that are incentivized to stay poor and undereducated so that they can like be a, a pipeline to the military and keep that employed. Mm, that's an interesting point, actually. Yeah, I don't know how much faith I put in that. I wrote, have you heard of that concept? Or- yeah, I could see that definitely being the case, but I don't know. But then me as a socialist, I'm wondering, would that result in more equality if everyone could get like would that result in class equality because that's one thing that bothers me about the draft is that it's rich people who usually get out of it yeah yeah and it's usually only poor people who actually have to follow through and so i'm wondering if like if we had a system so that rich and poor were being <laughs> drafted so speaking of class it's actually a big secret that the military is a very good opportunity for class mobility So in the U.S., like one of the benefits that you get is um, the GI Bill, which pretty much pays for in-state, gives you in-state tuition to any state university in the entire country. And they'll pay the full tuition. Um, You get full health care. Canada's like, what? That's what you need to do to get health care? Yeah, I know. Um, You get full health (laughs) care. You get like cost of living adjusted salary. So every year there's a guaranteed pay raise to keep up with inflation. Damn, that sounds very worker friendly. (laughs) I'm like... I'm living for this. Everyone should get shit like that. That sounds great. It is the socialist dream, which is ironic when a lot of people in the military are anti-socialism. And um, yeah, I, I just laugh at that. And then um, there's investment opportunities within the military. So like your paycheck is automatically allocated to a retirement fund that builds. And then you can retire from the military at 20 years and get a pension for the rest of your life. 20 years of service and then get a pension for the rest of your life. Damn. 
I should join the military. <laughs> right? You're really doing great sales pitch there, Al. People are going to be like, oh my gosh, the FDS political podcast is about like brainwashing people to join the military. It's a conspiracy <laughs> theory. Like, <laughs> It's Al. She's a recruiter after all. No, I'm not. <laughs> yeah, she's secretly a military recruiter trying to get us to join the military. But like, so you have a lot of like poor kids. And I'm saying this as a poor kid that used the military to move upward in society and got to where I am today because of the military. And I'm not like saying that everybody should join. Most people actually shouldn't join. And I want this to stay the way it is. So like, I'm actually anti-draft and I'm still for like an all of volunteer service because that's how we keep our incentives. Um, and then we get people that want to join. Um, so th- those are my like weird nuanced thoughts on the draft. So you think that the draft shouldn't be real because the, it's important to have a military where the people actually want to be there. I mean, correct. Yeah. But like, I don't think the draft should ever be enacted. I think there should be a registration, but that's all it is. It's just a mechanism to keep track of people that, hey, if for some reason we tap out all of our recruiting ability and we just need more people, this is the pool that we can draw from on an as-needed basis. I feel like if it got to a point where the U.S. needed to be actively drafting people, it would probably be such a bad war that it would basically be the apocalypse anyways. Yeah. So, <laughs> right? Like, right. if anyone invaded the United States, it would be God. messy. Right? Like, Canada's like, oh my God, do we need to come help? We'll send our, our little special forces team. <laughs> On horseback. <laughs> On horseback. Yeah. This isn't the Civil War. Actually, it is. Yeah, you guys can come over. It's fine. Mooseback. Mooseback. <laughs> Mooseback. <laughs> Canadian Mises. Yeah, I almost feel like having a c- Civil War 2.0 is more likely than actually being invaded. California would be invaded by, like, Nevada before anything else happens. Or, like, Texas. Texas invades <laughs> California. No. Actually, it's very feasible. Your taxes are too high! <laughs> yeah, I no. feel like what's actually happening is just all the Californians are leaving to other places yeah. of their own accord, so... <laughs> No need. There's an insurgency going on. No need to uh, invade California. They're going to leave of their own accord. (laughs) It's actually like there's actually a mass like immigration issue with Californians. Like people talk about like immigration problem. Like let's stop worrying about Mexico because they at least show up and work. Like what the hell do Californians do except for like raise the cost of living no matter where they go? I'm over it. I'm over the invasion of Californians everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Make everything more expensive. Californians leaving, complaining about, oh, taxes are so high here. Then they go to other states and create the policies that result in the high taxes in the first place. And they're like, God, why why does it suck here now? Time to go somewhere else. I'm like, no, stop. Stay where you are. So a little bit more of a specific timeline on the discussion of drafting women into the military. There was a case that was brought by the National Coalition for Men and the ACLU in January 2021 that was put before the Supreme Court, but the Supreme Supreme Court declined to review it. But it was basically saying that it was illegal for the United States government to discriminate on the basis of sex. And this is this is where a lot of people are giving the overall impetus to push women into the military as, you know, a collective side eye because it the ball was pushed forward by a men's rights activist group and the highly controversial ACLU. Agreeing on something. <laughs> right. So so then it got picked up later by some more progressive feminist types. Yeah. And then Congress started discussing it in November 2021 about whether or not they want to expand the draft, formally expand the draft to include women. It's kind of 
going along party lines, meaning some of the more specifically religious conservatives are objecting to having women in the military draft. But there are quite a few notable conservatives who support women in the military, which is Mitch McConnell, also Representative Chrissy Colohan. She's a Democrat. She's also supporting it. So it seems to be like a very um, mostly bipartisan. It's a weirdly bipartisan issue. It's a weirdly bipartisan issue, yeah, to, to push women towards the military draft with some of the more specifically Christian, like specifically religious conservatives objecting to it. People like Senator Josh Harley from Missouri. Let's profile Josh Harley for a second. Holly, sorry. Josh Hawley is straight out of the Gilead. He's the commander from the Gilead. His wife, like we talk about um, Mike Pence and his wife, like, oh, I don't sit and talk to other women. Like this guy legitimately is borderline like Wahhabi Christian where he feels like Christian Wahhabi. <laughs> he really is. Like his traditional values, uh, that, that, that's its own like conversation. So, okay. So if religious conservatives are against it, that means I'm for it. Okay. Just out of spite, <laughs> but also, but also men's rights groups are for it. So they're, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Now, no, no, no. It's wait, a wait, horseshoe okay. policy. It's a horseshoe policy. Okay. <laughs> so the men's rights like it. The religious conservatives are against it. And I hate both of the. Ha- Ooh, that's tough. Yeah. Right. See? You see? I don't want to be on the same side as either. Other supporters are Ted Cruz, Tom Cotton, John Boozman, Mike Lee, James Lankford. So, kind of the usual suspects when it comes to overall social conservatism, making the argument that, like, they don't think their, their daughters should be required to take up combat arms, saying that they think otherwise women are more valuable doing non military roles in wartime. It's a sticky issue because this is. This is we need female political strategy because there's so many issues like this or it becomes a nexus between social conservatism, social liberalism, and then people who are clearly motivated by just absolute hatred of women, right? Or at least like the idea that women aren't should be subjugated to men. So I don't necessarily think I have a problem with women being drafted, but what do the specifics look like as far as like women being drafted into specific types of combat rules. But a lot of people won't even qualify, first of all. They won't qualify? <laughs> and honestly, like, combat is also really, like, hard to qualify for in the first place. It has higher physical fitness requirements. And now the military actually has, like, um, well, the Army kind of is rolling it out and all the branches are adopting it. It's uh, gender-neutral PT testing, so physical fitness testing. And it's actually really really hard to pass and like get a hundred percent on it and a lot of women aren't even doing that well and then the combat you know the combat role tier which is like the top tier where you need the highest scores for it very few women are getting into it so like all this fear-mongering about women in combat roles first of all combat's really fun second like most women don't qualify so (laughs) first of all combat's (laughs) really fun Really? <laughs> you get to shoot guns. You get to shoot terrorists. Like, who could want anything better? I have to, like, check myself and realize that um, military is not run the same way now that it was in, like, World War One or World War Two. Like, not at all. You know, the old timey, like, send them over the trenches and then just have <laughs> all of the young men just be gunned down by machine guns. Like, that's how they used to wage war. Now they're like, okay, we actually value human life and we actually want to, like, 
try to reduce the amount of casualties, right? My comment right at the beginning of this episode being like, oh, only men should be used for cannon fodder. It's making me realize, like, cannon fodder isn't a concept anymore. They don't just throw people in front of cannons to get mowed down anymore. No. And honestly, like, the type of war combat zones that we're in right now, we use partner forces where we're helping the country that we're in fight their own battles. We're just there to provide, like, an advise assist role. So we're not even going into combat. And then whenever we find ourselves in a situation, it's called, like, coming into contact, which means you didn't go more often than not look for the fight. The fight found you. Right. <laughs> a little self-defense. Yeah, I was like, oh my god, I was in the worst part of town that I wasn't supposed to be in, and I found myself in a fight. That may or may not happen, but... um. Yeah, there's really no really, like, line combat anymore. Yeah. But I think the reason why people have that visceral, like, no reaction is because when they think of war, they think of all the World War One and World War Two movies. Or even Vietnam. Where it's like, they're just sending young people over the trenches and they, the idea of women just being gunned down by machine guns. For some reason, people don't like that, but they're fine with men being gunned down by machine yeah. guns, as it should be. <laughs> well... <laughs> Well, I also think I also think United States in particular has a bad taste in its mouth over the draft because of the Vietnam War. Yeah, true. So it, some of that is just because of like how it was handled and like the publicity, the publicity, the absolute unnecessary aspect of that war, right? Versus like, because theoretically we should only be drafted under something that would be as intense as World War Two, right? Existential threat. Existential threat. If we don't actually get troops out there, there's a risk that there could be a hostile takeover of all of our Western allies, right? But something like the Vietnam War, it you know, overall people felt like that was a war that was probably unnecessary. And so you have a bunch of people drafted for dying for no reason. Yeah. Yeah. Dying for no reason. And horribly with like the napalm bombs and all those things, like the the kind of warfare that was waged in Vietnam was also particularly brutal. And also just to kind of give some uh, clarification on the national security environment we're in right now, if we were to quote, go into a war, like According to the president's last like national security strategy, we're not even in like a war environment right now with our adversaries. We're in what's called competition, which means we're like vying for soft power. So our war right now is not even tangible. So you're thinking things like economic influence, winning hearts and minds. So the focus on war and co- like how we defend our nation is not in the capacity of like, can we kill the enemy? It's a popularity contest now. So if you go to, yeah, if you join the military, you're like going to do, we're more focused on like psychological operations and special operations and asymmetric warfare. I can definitely see the asymmetric aspect of war being more prominent because right now everybody has, well, a, a lot of the major countries have weapons that could theoretically wipe humanity off the face of the planet. Yeah. It's not as much of an arms race to keep diplomacy because- if you have that kind of firepower, you actually want to not use it <laughs> mm-hmm. versus like then having it a threat being like, we'll actually use it. It's just there to keep pace with what your theoretical em- enemies are. But everything else with that kind of potential for mass destruction, everything else has to realistically be handled diplomatically because there's just no there's no guarantee we would survive, you know, a nuclear war as a species, not even just as a country, as a species. Or like preventing it in the first place. Yeah. 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 Um, If we don't nuke ourselves first, because like, do you know how many times the U.S. has flown nukes over its own country? I'm scared to ask. Wait, what? Yeah, we have flown nukes over my personal home state three times. 
unchecked. Wait, I know you kept nukes in Canada to fight the <laughs> Russians, right? I was aware of that. But yeah, so like we did exercises where um, they were doing like a test flight and it was supposed to be dummies, but somebody accidentally like didn't check like they were supposed to. I'm like, oh, of course it's dummies. It's always been dummies, except that one time it wasn't dummies and it was like real nukes. How does an accident like that even happen? Welcome to the United States military. So that's why, like, when conspiracy theorists are like, that's what the government is up to. I'm like, bro, (laughs) you know how many times we've almost accidentally nuked ourselves? Like, no. Yeah, that's terrifying beyond all reason. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost as bad as, like, California and some of their um, nuclear plants on earthquake fault lines. Oh, my God. (laughs) What, do you have nuke plants? Nuclear plants? Wait, what? Yeah, we, it's like in um, the LA area, if I'm not mistaken. Damn. In BC, we have hydroelectric electricity. We get our electricity from nature, <laughs> from the water. And we're trying to build a pipeline to get it from your oil, so. Yeah. Yeah, the, all that dirty oil, we don't actually use it in Canada. We <laughs> export that to worse countries. <laughs> so, oh, uh, God. So, yeah, like, I don't want people in the military. I don't want, I don't want a draft. I, I'll, I'll just say it at that. So you don't, okay, so you don't actually want to draft, but if you did want to draft, it would just be to spite the feminazis. Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, you want everything, then you're getting everything. Like, you can't just pick and choose. <laughs> but on FDS, we're all about picking and choosing. We're all about maximizing female benefit. Exactly. I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing for women. Like, I, this is one of those times where I'm like, I feel like it's relatively neutral. It just really depends on the position. In a hypothetical wartime, I would hope that a lot of people would just volunteer. I'm not against the draft as an overall concept. I'm against the draft as it has been used, right? And that's kind of the problem with giving the government that power. I'm more or less averse to the government having that power unless under extreme, extreme circumstances. And the problem with that is like, I would argue, as we've seen under Trump, like that's very subjective. What uh, counts as extreme, right? Like when you can start invoking any type of emergency laws that would normally be reserved for what you know would be like catastrophic or unusual events, right? So that's my overall aversion to the draft in general. I don't want to add women to the draft. I probably want to dismantle the concept of the draft or at least put way, way, way more restrictions about when the draft can actually be invoked. That's not as subjective as it currently is. Okay, so just, I guess I'd like to add to that. So if there's a line between what a selective service is, so it's just registering in case there is a draft, right? And then um, if you're drafted, that means like, if you're eligible, then you are actually drafted. If the selective service registration is as it is, like, I don't think women should be exempt from it. No, like, everybody should should be subject to that registration. That weird line between like men and women is arbitrary. What I am for, what I do recommend, and I think it's the issue that's not being discussed, is should this be managed a little bit better? I don't even think a selective service should exist even in the first place, but I don't think that's the conversation anybody wants to have in the first place. So it's like, it's here. Everybody might as well be on it. The weird thing to me is like, don't they already kind of know? Because like the, the United States government 
has your social security information. So are you assuming systems talk to each other? (laughs) True, true. My bad. My bad for making any kind of assumption of overall competency there. But no, that's true. The IRS should be completely and totally separate from everything else. 100%. So yeah, um, definitely don't use the IRS to start doing anything else in the government. (laughs) So yeah, scratch what I just said. You want to give the IRS more power? (laughs) No, I don't. No, I don't. You're right. Everyone should have to actually register individually independent of their actual status. Make it more complicated or just get rid of it. I think we should 100% get rid of the IRS. No! No! (laughs) no, Sorry, not the IRS. Not the IRS. I didn't... I spoke. I misspoke. (laughs) No, give them more now to go after billionaires, okay? My problem with the IRS is they only go after poor people. They should go after the rich. I think she she was just kidding, but I was just like... (laughs) I I also misspoke because I was... My head was elsewhere. <laughs> Abolish the IRS. That's how you're a conservative. Everyone's going to listen to this and be like, FDS. It came out. It came out. Oopsie, whoopsie. That was the only, that was the only like visceral uh, reaction I've had so far of all of our conversations. I'm like, no, don't abolish the IRS. Like, people need to pay their goddamn taxes. Can we have that conversation though? Because like, I, I want to have that conversation. I actually feel like it's unpatriotic to not pay taxes. You know, like all these people who try to avoid paying taxes or pay as little tax as possible. It's like, I mean, there's something to be said about U.S. government uh, inefficiency, but like in Canada, it's like, it goes to our roads. It goes to our education. It goes to our healthcare. It goes to all these great things. It's like unpatriotic not to pay your taxes. Oh my God. What? Lila. Oh my God. I couldn't disagree with you more. Why? <laughs> Let's have that discussion another time. Yeah, let's have that conversation another time. That's on like, I really would love to go there with you right now. Let's save that bicker. Yeah, let's have that conversation another day. Conversation. <laughs> because what, what I don't understand is why so many military people are against, why so many military people are conservative and, you know, small government, anti-tax. The U.S. military is the single greatest, most expensive thing. Yeah, socialist. And it's the most, like, so it is our one truly socialist, like, environment. First of all, like the the military is actually like all inclusive. You get an extra pay. So okay, there's this joke that like all military dudes get married by like twenty nineteen twenty, and that's because when you get par- married, you get an additional allowance. You get um basic housing allowance essentially, and then you when you're separated from your family, you get extra pay for that, and like you get all sorts of money, right? So like receiving the benefits, they just don't like having to pay into contributing to the benefits. Well, we also like military also pays taxes, so it's almost like we're getting paid on discount because it's like. Our money goes back to feeding the system that we're getting paid out of, which to me makes zero sense. I don't think military should pay taxes. Yeah, let's have that conversation another day, yeah. I was going to say there was a bill to abolish the selective service system that was introduced in the United States House of Representatives in February 2016, and it effectively end draft registration. It's called HR 4523 and eliminate the authority of the president to order anyone to register for the draft and effectively repeal the Solomon Amendments, which is making registration for the draft a condition of federal student aid. So that's another aspect of why people or men particularly actually right now have to register for the selective service is that if you don't register for the selective service, you can't get any kind of federal aid. So Pell Grants, all those things that come from the United States. There's been a lot of movement from different Congress members to abolish the draft, you know, as a concept, but they haven't passed obviously just far. So I support abolishing the selective service, honestly. Like I don't think it's a useful thing in the grand scheme of things, but 
it does exist, right? So everybody should be a part of it if it does exist. If it, but I don't think it should exist in the first place. It's not a useful tool. It's a it's a waste of bureaucracy. But bureaucracy, I guess, exists to like be a waste in and of itself. Do you guys have something similar in Canada? Similar to what? The um the selective service. No, we don't have a draft at all. Nope, it's all voluntary. Canada's committed to like peace. I love that. Yeah. Well, that's because we we exist south of them. <laughs> I just part of the reason why Canada is so great is because we can let America do all the dirty work. <laughs> you can basically let us do everything. Oh my god, are we the heavy? Like, are we the big heavy? You know that big like strong friend that goes into like yeah, like your one goon friend who goes around and beats the shit out of anyone who slightly threatens you. <laughs> Yeah, you're one 400-pound, five like, linebacker friend who just goes around and is like, Ooh, I heard you talking about Buddy Canada. Like, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's us. Yeah. We can't read, but we sure can fight. Yeah. <laughs> you big, dumb friend. <laughs> oh, man. And Canada's like the quiet little nerd in the corner just being like, Oh, my gosh, guys. Thanks for helping me. So, okay, so in September 2021, so a few months ago, in the House, Congress passed the Annual Defense Authorization Act. So what they did during that passing is they struck off the word male. When they were talking about all American males between the ages of 18 and 25 must register for the Selective Service, they actually removed the word male from the annual like defense authorization bill. So they've kind of effectively ended the specificity of men having to register for the secret service, but it doesn't look like there's been a publicity so far about like women having to register for the selective service, like when that's actually going to go into effect. Like it looks like they just formally struck the word male. They just said now Americans, even though it's still like, as far as we know and practice only enforced now in males, unless they're doing some kind of other. I just would like mean more names onto the list, honestly. And I think once there is a draft declared or for whatever emergency reason, it's going to be a cluster anyways, whether it's all male or male and female. I don't think there's systems in place now to actually um, effectively execute, efficiently execute like a draft anyways. So that'll be another bridge to cross that we're not even prepping for right now. This is actually an annoyance of mine is how often they'll strike one or two words in bills like this and completely change the meaning. And then they don't have any type of actual infrastructure support behind it. But then like they change it on paper, then it becomes tougher to challenge. Right. So that's essentially what it seems like they did here. Yeah, it's lazy legislation for sure. Yeah. Um, But it has a big impact and it's a conversational piece. You know, everybody's just kind of Nobody that's actually having a massive conversation about this has a vested interest in how it's actually going to play out. And they're just talking about it to have a talking point. Like, it's not really about the girls, right? It's not really about women. It's it's completely being spearheaded by people who deal in ideological pursuits rather than like what that actually practically means for the country. And those people are honestly annoying in general. I don't want to agree with the men's rights groups. I don't want to really agree with the religious conservatives. But I also think like practically, what does that mean for our nation? From the inside, it probably means nothing. <laughs> Nobody needs to worry. For the MRAs, it's just a giant whataboutism for them. So closing thoughts, everyone. I would say as a strategy, um, this is, I think, again, we're being gaslit into believing that this is going to be a catastrophic thing for the entire country's safety, but it's not. Selective service is just a list of people that are 
possibly like the first list I dip into to like draft people and there's no draft in sight combat isn't like the war zone isn't heading in that direction anymore so I would say just don't worry about it and go to college there you go now you have better reason to pursue higher education yeah so my overall strategy is we need to actually nail down the parameters in which the United States is actually required to fulfill in order to enact the draft because right now it being nebulous is actually the bigger problem I have than uh, having men and women be part of the selective service for the potential to be drafted because uh, you know like we discussed a little bit earlier there's plenty of there's plenty of reason uh, that a lot of people wouldn't even qualify anyways but also there's a lot of non-combat roles there's a lot of support roles that can absolutely be filled by women a lot of the more difficult combat roles are overwhelmingly fulfilled by men because of the physical requirements, which you're saying are now gender neutral. Yeah, but are still overwhelmingly benefit the male physique rather than female physiology. Yeah. So there's, it's more than likely that even in these circumstances, the women who are the women who would want to do combat roles would be motivated to do combat roles. They would have to meet the physical requirements. So it's not likely that, yeah, they're just going to push women out in the front lines. We need to formally put that down in some kind of law somewhere on paper <laughs> about like the parameters in which they can draft uh, anybody really, but especially women into the war. Also, I'd like to add just one small thing. A lot of the mus- uh, a lot of the jobs that women would wind up filling and the non-combat roles dire- directly translate into very, very high paying, highly skilled jobs outside of the military. So you have um, like the intelligence analysis roles, translate directly into corporate America, um, contracting, finance. So there's a lot of like high, secretly like high paying skills that you can pick up in the military that you don't need to go to business school for and get a very high paying job on the other side. So damn, maybe more women should join the military. That sounds dope. It is what it is. The opportunities that are there are so much easier to access in like it's equal opportunity. And if you look for it, it's there, it's available to you. Um, and it also depends, I think, what job you sign up for and things like that as well. So, hey, getting paid to learn a skill that you would have to otherwise pay to pick up in higher education, to me, is like, it, it's a win-win. Check out our Twitter at Female Political and our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Female Political Strategy. See you next week. Mm-hmm.